So before we get into our episode this week, uh, Sophie and I had something that we both wanted to talk about. Um, This week, we had the wonderful opportunity to interview Lev Rosen about his new book, Camp. As most of you know, this podcast has always been about elevating queer voices and highlighting books that may or may not be on everyone's radar more than one month out of a year. But it would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the current state of the country. For the first time in our lifetime, we are seeing a revolution of people fighting back against oppression and injustice that has been endured for too much and too long at a national and global level. We both want to do our part as white allies to help elevate voices of black readers, especially those who are part of the LGBTQ community. In the description of this episode, we will be linking to books written by black authors, black owned bookstores, and other resources to help us all keep educated about what is happening right now. Hopefully this episode can be a small bright spot for you to listen to while you recharge before doing what you can to help. Whether you're protesting from home or you're out in the streets, stay safe and stay strong. Black lives matter, black trans lives matter, and that should not be a debate. Oh, no, wait, one minute. There we go. I think it's... it's <laughs> We're it's nailing record- it. It's recording now. Hi, my name is Lev Rosen, and you're listening to the Super Lit Podcast. Intro music. There it is. <laughs> Patrick, we got Sophie G here, and we have Lev Rosen, um, and you're listening to the Super Lit Podcast. Today, we are talking about camp, and also Jack of Hearts and other parts. <laughs> A good intro voice. <laughs> wow. I, I haven't spoken to anyone in, like, about <laughs> books in a while, so I'm like, who wants to go? <laughs> <laughs> so we've all read books, right? Uh, um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a really fun accusation. <laughs> um, but Lev, why don't you um, tell us a little bit about Camp first? We could start there. Sure. Camp just came out, um, and it is my young adult romantic comedy set at a queer summer camp, at which Randy, who has gone to this summer camp for four years and for four years has been in love with Hudson, um, decides to finally win Hudson's affections. The issue is that Hudson is mask for mask, um, meaning he, although I suppose on this podcast, I probably don't need to explain it, but on a lot of podcasts, I've had to explain it. He's mask for mask, and Randy, with his nail polish, unicorn sheets, and love of musical theater, is decidedly not mask, but he is, as I said, a theater kid, so he decides to take on the role of a lifetime, becoming Dell, uh, which is Hudson's ultimate mask fantasy, uh, in an attempt to win his heart, and then gradually return to himself once Hudson is in love with him. This is, of course, a terrible plan, and many things go wrong. <laughs> well, that, um, can I have, like, a button for any time I go to, like, find a book? It's like, okay, what does the author say exactly? <laughs> <laughs> I don't need the book cover. I just need to hear the author say it. 
<laughs> there we go. That was, yeah. Yeah, that was, um, uh, yeah, I, if I stand by what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing amazing. Yes. Well, um, you know, you got to practice these things. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the I have notes in my phone. I actually have written notes this time. How do you? Thank you. Um, I, I guess I wanted to start off with like a silly question because that's just like how we do it here. Um, usually, I mean, we can also ask you this. Usually we ask like, who is your favorite pop star? Just to really get, you know, the serious questions in first. Mm. Um, <laughs> mm. I mean, I'm, I'm an Amy Winehouse guy. I know she's not oh. really contemporary anymore, but that sort of smoky voice, mm-hmm. someone is getting laid and smoking a cigarette and someone might die. That vibe <laughs> is very me. Yeah, you know, um, I'm really thankful for that answer. That I, <laughs> Amy really, really did it for us. She walked so Adele could run. Mm-hmm. So Duffy could run. Yeah, true. Duffy's <laughs> great, Duffy. too. Duffy yeah. is great. Duffy, I felt like, might have been almost a, a little too esoteric an answer, though. I was trying to make sure people... <laughs> like, I love Paloma more? Faith, too, but Paloma Faith... Hell, yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. I feel like no one knows who she is over here. Yeah, it's it's very true. I well, is she? I think she's referenced in Jack of Hearts, maybe. Yeah, she is. Yeah, and I like lost my mind because I was like obsessed with her in college, and everyone was like, "I don't who? What are you talking?" I was like, mm-hmm. "She's amazing." You just watch all these music videos, listen to this woman sing, and everyone yeah, was like, "Honestly, if for <laughs> anything, watch her music videos because they are truly pieces of artwork." Actually, watch mm-hmm. her on like quiz shows because <laughs> she's like the most adorable mess. Really? I have not seen her on quiz shows. I have, I, I don't have an interest in, like, celebrities outside of their, their like, bubble. personal lives. Like, I always feel very intrusive. Like, just live your life. I will enjoy your music. Mm-hmm. Go live your life. Mm. Totally, yeah. <laughs> My was, well, it's not a secret obsession, but I have a very strong obsession with, like, British game shows. Yes, you do. I love watching them. And there was, like, a period of time in college where I watched one that was, like, all musicians and stuff. And it's just her being, like, really adorable because Noel Fielding is also on the episode with her. And she's, like, in love with him. And, like, is it can't Nevermind the Buzzcocks? Yeah. Yeah. It's so cute. It's so cute. And then they, like, have her sing and she, like, tears the house down. It's called Nevermind the what now? Nevermind the Buzzcocks. There's um, an episode like, with Amy Winehouse on it. There is an episode with Amy Winehouse. I... Honestly, I can still quote, like, a lot of that episode. Part of the episode is her running into the audience because someone has a bag of candy and she wants to have some candy. (laughs) I think that's that episode. Wait, I'm writing this down for my future viewing. (laughs) It's like an early, or like a mid-2000s British games show that definitely used to all be on YouTube. It might still be. Okay, I mean, (laughs) mid-2000s. 15 years ago. Yeah, I don't... (laughs) That's that's scary to think about. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm so really now glad that I got derailed the conversation. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's usually me that does it. Also, it's really nice to have Zoom because I consistently will ask a question and just like machine gun the questions, and somebody's like, "Wait, wait me?" But I think the first like real question I had uh, was uh, so the book starts off with the kids going to uh, the camp and it, the first thing that they have, like the first night there's a camp counselor, like talent show. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what would your talent be? <laughs> oh. oh man, calling you out. None. I have nothing. <laughs> Just stand have, on stage. Okay, so at summer camp, I like was loath to participate in many of these things, but a lot of my friends were like, "Lem should do something." I don't know why. I hate it when like whatever. And so one year they like started chanting for me to get up when I was not on the roster at all to like do a talent show thing. And I have one thing, which is I'm very, very double jointed in my hands. So I got up and I did that. Ooh. A skill set. Yeah. That won't translate on a podcast. A party but. trick. Yes. We <laughs> yeah, love my party audio trick. The listeners, um, it could be anything he just did. Listeners. <laughs> yeah. What did I do? All you know is it involves double jointedness. It was extremely impressive and mildly erotic. (laughs) He's not lying. There's no lies. Not a lie detected. I think Um, mine would have to be drag. I would probably put that wig on. She's over there somewhere. That one in the background. The one that... Exactly. That was impressive. Yeah, I was like, who is she? She's right there. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) I, I think at the beginning of quarantine, I like put on Zoom and Sophie was like, I thought you were alone in your room. I was like, I am. She's like, why is Ryan LaSala behind you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sophie, what would your talent be? Ooh, running away. Getting yeah, off stage hey. as soon as possible. Running is a talent. <laughs> Ooh, no, no. Uh, yeah, no, no. Not even like a little bit. Not even slightly. I was like full stage crew. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so You're my talent Ashley. would be... Yeah, actually. <laughs> My um, summer camp actually did have a, now we all know, deeply problemat- problematically named drag contest. It was called the Mr. and Mrs. Ugly pageant. And you had to pick someone from each um, cabin, so all the way up, to do drag. And th- that was the contest, essentially. And so one year, I definitely did it as Levelin Mom Rosen. And um, I sang Happy Birthday, Mr. President, in <laughs> Maryland drag. Did you go to Camp Amazing. Outland? What, where did no, you go? I went to a conservative Jewish camp. See, the <laughs> thing is, this was not done with love. This was done with, like, let's laugh at the people in drag. Right. Mm. Isn't it hilarious that there's a man in a dress? Yeah, that, yeah. that energy. I do you remember that I was out by then, which is probably why they chose me, but... um. The camp director's husband was cute. And, like, I was not shy about the fact that I thought he was cute, let's say. Um, And uh, I walked, he was one of the judges, and I walked down the runway, which is picnic tables lined up. And I I get ready to sing, and I bend down, and I, like, put my hands on his face like I'm going to sing to him. And he scoots back six feet in his chair. He was so horrified. Oh, no. Oh, man. Amazing. I went with it. It was fine. <laughs> I'm glad you answered one of my questions because I was like, I wonder if he's been to camp before. And mm-hmm. I think you tweeted that you had been to, uh, like, a Jewish camp. Yeah, I went to a conservative Jewish camp called Camp Shalom, which there is a joke about in the book. Uh, yeah, such, such a generic name. It um, really is. Yeah. Uh, in Connecticut. And physically, the Camp Outland in the book is based on uh, Camp Shalom. But in terms of the people, not in any way, shape, or form. Mm. I mean, um, I'd love to say since 
I got like my most sort of homophobic bullying there growing up that like I took all my bullies and made them queer. But the truth is all the homophobic bullies I knew at camp were really boring. Like there's nothing, even if you just made them gay, like there'd be nothing there. So I just made up new people. <laughs> Those are the worst people where it's like, you have nothing redeeming about you and you're also just terrible. You're mean and dull, go away. I don't even have to like parody it in a YA novel. Just get out of here. You don't deserve my time. Recasted. <laughs> um... I feel like uh, Connecticut has been like really um, a, a place where a lot of books that I've read in the past like year or so have taken place. So in my mind, they're all in the same universe. Oh. <laughs> so like Reverie, keep okay. this to yourself. <laughs> I'll talk to, I mean, I'll talk to some people. I love that. I'll run it by them. <laughs> yeah, I'm oh sure God. they'll be like, yes. <laughs> we'll have an extended universe. That yeah. would. Can you imagine any any other like queer characters from any book just going to a camp like this? It would just be bonkers. <laughs> well, I can say that Jack of Hearts and Camp are in the same universe because in the the new paperback of Jack and Hearts, there are bonus questions like columns in the back, and one of them comes from George and Camp. Aww. So I, I love that. Like, now I have to go yeah. get it. <laughs> Oh no! Yes, and so does everybody else. Everyone yes. <laughs> gets it. Um, technically, I have your your hardcover version, Brendan. I borrowed it, so I brought it with me. I literally brought a pile of books with me when we did our end of the year like top books um, episode, and I brought a pile of books with me and. Um, Jack of Hearts was in there yeah. and I, was, I like, was just like kept taking them and I was like oh I didn't read this one when did you read this about I'm taking this one okay yeah. um, camp, is it like uh, social distance Jenga you had like brooms you would knock out the books you want. Uh, and, this was in the before times yeah, the before. Oh, we could interact with people before yes. times was, now he uh, just knocks on my door and leaves books on my doorstep and then Stands on the other side of the street. Mm-hmm. Waves from a distance. It's It's been good. <laughs> I travel an hour and 20 minutes to do this. Oh, geez. Okay. It's it's maybe more like an hour and 20 minutes because I obey the speed limit, whereas everyone's like, oh, 55 miles? I almost said degrees. I'm going to go 95 <laughs> and scare this poor new driver. <laughs> like cars. Cars are weird. Yeah, no, they are. <laughs> Um, okay, so my next my next thing was I wanted to talk to you about like the the setting of the book. So I I feel like just the idea. I don't know if this like if a camp like this exists at all. Um, I just feel like the idea of like an all queer camp for kids where it's like run wild and be gay and just live your life for like literally a month. Why can't it be more than a month? Um, <laughs> It just sounds so magical to me. <laughs> they do exist. I, when I first came up with the concept, I was also like, does this exist? Is this too out there? And I Googled it. And many of them exist, in fact. Um, and there are queer camps for adults, too, if you'd like to relive your childhood. Uh, I never went to camp. Most of them are shorter. Most of them are like a week, maybe two, as opposed to a mm. full month. Um, I'm, I'm doing a fundraiser for one of the bigger ones, Camp Lightbulb uh later in the month but yeah they're they're all over the place actually there are a bunch of them uh and they get more specific some are specifically for trans kids um some are for all lgbt kids um i don't know how they actually work i 
thought about contacting people and being like, so does every, do you segregate your cabins by gender? How does this work? Et cetera, et cetera. But I already knew what I wanted it to be. So I decided like, I'm just going to do it my way. And this is this camp. Like it is not outside the realm of possibility that this camp would work like this. So it felt, felt authentic to what I wanted the experience to be, what I wanted it to be. And it made life a lot easier (laughs) to just make my own thing instead of being like, so I'm going to research these 13 camps and make sure it conforms to the rules that they have set up, you know? Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, they're a bunch. That's so exciting to hear. I love that. I never went to camp as a kid. So I've, I have like no concept of camp. (laughs) You have no idea what happened. No idea what camp is at all. (laughs) (laughs) Whose cat was that? In the woods. What? Was that a cat screaming just now? Oh yeah, my cat. Oh, it wasn't. It wasn't Sophie's cat. (laughs) No, and I like went to pick her up, but then she walked away. So I don't know what's going on now. She's sitting outside the door, looking at me. My husband's home, and she is not a big fan of us being in separate rooms. Oh yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So makes it hard to to visit both of you at once. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's a glare at both of us from like the same angle, essentially. Yeah. Sophie has a, a, a very nice cat who is basically a dog. Um, and then a really, really mean cat that scares me. Um, which is funny because she used to sleep on me as like a little kitten. So I, I don't know what happened. I don't um, know what happened either. Yeah, she grew she just, up and she only loves me and she yeah. hates everyone else. Yes. Shadow and chicken. Oh, my babies. What's your cat's name? Uh, my cat is Lulu. Oh, So for Waterloo. Oh. oh. Because her breed is a Napoleon. I was like, is that an ABBA reference or a Napoleon? No, it's more making fun of Napoleon. Oh. <laughs> well, that's still good. We're still yeah. here for it. Yeah. So we do, do you have... We do sing the song at her a lot, though. <laughs> oh, I love that. I only watched... Um, oh, my God, I'm forgetting the title of the movie now. Wow. Mamma Mia? Mamma Mia. Yeah, thank God. Um, I only watched Mamma Mia for the first time last year. I know. Shame. I'll leave. Okay. It's fine. Don't watch the second one. <gasps> oh, no. I know. I, I have know. to leave. I'm so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love them both so much. I had a lot of fun with the first one. The second one, it really felt like a lot of people were phoning it in. Oh, absolutely. That was that was kind of part of the fun, just to watch them be like, oh, I guess they'll go on vacation okay, in Greece I again. I don't know. Give me the script. I have watched the second one more than once, basically, to, like, show it to other people and make fun of it. So let's just say they're very different experiences, but you can watch them both. (laughs) Here's a fun question for you. How did you feel about the Cats movie? Because I feel like I have to ask you. I haven't seen it, and I don't think I care to. (laughs) That's Uh fair. (laughs) I haven't seen it either. I feel like I have to. (laughs) I don't, I mean, I feel like when it's free, I will probably watch it. But, like, I'm not paying money for that. Mm -mm. That looks like... And, like, I saw it on Broadway when I was little with my camp because even though I grew up in New York City and went to the camp in the summer, my parents were like, we're not going to see cats. Are you insane? Um, They're big Broadway people. They do not care for Mr. Andrew Lloyd Webber, and I do not blame them. But um, the one exception being Joseph and the Decla-Colored Dreamcoat because we're Jewish. But um, we went to see cats with my summer camp, and it was not an experience I treasure forever. So I don't really have a need to see the movie, but Mm. I hear it's such a disaster that when it is out in a way that I don't have to pay for it, we will definitely watch it. 
Oh, wait, wait, speaking of, she's wait, wait, the same cats. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, hello. Oh, she got one of those little squished faces. Oh, yes. she looks so mad. Oh, she is. Love that. <laughs> Permanently angry. <laughs> love of Persian. Oh. Little Ron Swanson cat. Always <laughs> mad. Yes, always grumpy. Oh, oh, my, oh my gosh. Nail polish? Hello? Am I saying oh, nail polish? Oh, it's like it's chipped off, but <laughs> the, my British publisher made me the nail polish that's in the book. <gasps> oh, that's so cute. I Unicorn love it. Apocalypse. Yeah, no, it's great. I it's was nice to see. I put it on once and then I'm like, now I must keep it forever and not use it up because it's like a relic. It is it's precious. precious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's nice to see something that like I'm sitting in my yard imagining. I tried to exclusively read camp while I was outside. Um, just to get like the get the full experience, yeah, the full experience of like birds flying at me and bees <laughs> dying in my hair for some reason. Um, that's weird. I literally put took my ponytail down. I came in the one day, took my ponytail down, and I heard something like hit the the floor in my house really hard, and I was like, "What was that?" And I looked down, and there was a dead bees. bumblebee. Oh no! Just the one you said, bees plural. So. Oh yeah, no, just one. <laughs> And thank God it's not happened more than once. I keep bees in my wig. Yeah. Oh, God. I have a beehive wig. Hi, yeah. <laughs> Bring it back um, to Amy Winehouse. Thank God. This is the Amy Winehouse uh, fan podcast. <laughs> do, 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 do. Okay, I think the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about, too, was um, the dichotomy of, like, Hudson slash Hal and how they're, like, two different people. And um, also Randy and Dell and how they're also like two separate people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the original like inspiration was the sort of Doris Day Rock Hudson movies, mm-hmm. um, you know, like Pillow Talk and stuff, or the more, my really like the big inspiration was the more modern um, Down With Love, which is sort of like a uh, movie making fun of those movies, but like lovingly, it's like a postmodern interpretation with Renee Zellweger and Ewan McGregor. Um, and in those movies, it's always like someone is pretending to be someone in order to like win someone's affection, um, but they end up falling in love or finding out that they really are like that someone. And like, you know, usually the, usually the playboy is pretending to be like someone who's not a playboy. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure I got that in. Um, and originally, like on some level, like that's the most sort of authentic thing is the idea that Hudson is like, oh, I really like this guy. And he said he wants to take it slow. So I am not going to come across as a playboy. Like I'm going to tell him I am a romantic type and like, uh, you know, be that way for him. And also I thought it would make it so that Hudson later on was perhaps a little more sympathetic to Randy's reveal, which had gone on much longer and in many ways is more elaborate. Um, But yeah, so they both essentially come at this relationship playing parts that aren't them. Mm -hmm. And they both like, because the thing is, even though Hudson, you know, pretends to be this romantic at first, he ends up being this romantic like he doesn't end up pulling the Playboy stuff with Randy. And Randy in many ways ends up realizing a lot of who he is through pretending to be this masculine guy and like figuring out 
a lot about the qualities that he sort of ignored about himself. So I wanted them to both have this experience of pretending to be someone they weren't and realizing that maybe that the, the, the part was something closer to who they were than they thought. And that joint experience in many ways is what in the end allows them to forgive each other, I think. Mm. Yeah, I feel like while I was like reading the book and um, like, I guess I could have been more like Randy as a kid where I was just like, fuck it, I'm going to paint my nails. I'm going to be like as like out as humanly possible. I was like, oh, I need to protect this child. (laughs) And then like Hudson (laughs) comes in and he's like, hello, (laughs) it's me, Hudson. (laughs) Um, And I... I felt like as I was reading it, I was like, oh my God, Hudson, please leave this child alone. (laughs) But like, at the same time, I'm like, oh, I understand the idea of like, I really like this person and my friends around me are like, sweetie, are you sure? Like, (laughs) I I related to that a lot. And I I remember talking to Sophie about it the other day. I was like, I feel like this is something that 16-year-old Brendan would have 100% 100% have done. <laughs> Not successfully. <laughs> I mean, let's, yeah, no, I, I think that the odds of pulling all this off the way it does in the book are, are unique to the book. <laughs> I'm not willing to cut my hair off for a boy, so there's that. <laughs> there's that, first of all. I think the the one thing that's like, okay, uh, suspend disbelief for a second is when the whole camp is just like, okay, sure, well, yeah, we'll lie to him for you. <laughs> Because yeah. we see that you, like, but everything else, I was like, I can see a teenager doing this. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, the thing to me, the thing about that is like, Randy is only lying about one thing, which is that he's never been there before. Right. Dell is just another version of his name. For all anyone knows, this is his new persona, you know? And I think the only one who really catches on is Brad. Like, Brad is the one who's like, all right, this kid, like, changed his entire persona and is like going after my best friend hard what the hell is going on here and brad confronts him about it it's like are you out to hurt my friend what the hell is going on and randy's like no i love him and brad's like okay cool like (laughs) okay i I feel like i feel like if i were brad i would be like okay weird but okay Uh, oh (laughs) seems strange but fine (laughs) the idea of telling hudson you know this kid went here before i don't think brad ever would have explicitly lied like if Hudson had been like uh you know Dell he's new here and you know at one point I think Brad actually does try to be like he's not new and George immediately is like we're going over here now Mm -hmm. Uh, um so I think that Brad normally if like he was if he heard Hudson directly say like this new person Dell I think Brad would have been like no but as long as he doesn't have to overtly lie i think he's fine to just let it happen Mm -hmm. um because you know everyone deserves a shot at love (laughs) i (laughs) love that this camp is like such a romantic (laughs) don't do that no it's i mean the thing that was like really believable that i was like yeah especially like the way that the um like counselors and stuff kind of treat dell when he first like like no it's dell this year like yeah that's the kind of like adult you want in a queer space is to be like you're completely changing how you look 
your like gender performance, everything, and you want me to call you this name now? Okay, 100% back and you, no questions asked. Because that's <laughs> like the kind of space you want in like mm-hmm. a queer safe space for kids. But I'm also like, okay, but, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Mark does ask, yeah. you know. Are he you does, yeah. <laughs> he questions. I mean, yeah, he's like the one person who like questions him, but he never is like. There's no one in like the uh, adults in the book who are outright are like, "What you're doing is wrong because mm-hmm. you're changing how you're presenting yourself." They're always like, "Are you sure this is like what you want to be doing this year?" Because I know how much you love like being in the theater and stuff. And they're just kind of like trying to like help him figure it out a little bit more, but not confronting him as much. Yeah, and actually originally throughout the book, Mark would call Randy, Randy instead of Dell. And then someone was like, I think at a camp like this, like if someone said this was their name now and they wanted to go by it, everyone would be respectful of it. And I was Mm -hmm. like, that's right. So he generally calls him either Randall, the full name now, which, you know, or Dell. He doesn't call him Randy anymore. And he's respectful, but he's also like, why are you doing this? Oh, it's for a boy? No. Also, are you doing all this for a man? Because, like, we need to talk, honey. Like, what's wrong? I mean, I feel like as adults, like, Mark is the one we're supposed to relate to. (laughs) Because it's supposed to be like, oh, boy, what the (laughs) hell is this kid doing? Like, as adults reading it. Um, And, like, it's still enjoyable to read, I hope. But, like, that that moment of, oh, honey, no. (laughs) I needed to make sure there was a voice saying that so i wrote three different people saying that um i think mark and he's he's in there more than the other counselors so i maybe that's why i grew more attached to him but i also just love a, an angry drag queen that's like oh sweetie please <laughs> relate to it um did you have any questions about camp sophie uh i had a thought and then it left my brain oh okay so this is like kind of the end of the book uh so spoilers spoiler warning (laughs) spoilers uh but i really liked the um towards the end you have like the dynamic of like kind of the two uh adult figures having conversation with dell about him talking to um hudson about like his parents because obviously he comes from a home that's like very accepting and he like is the kind of person's like I don't understand why he is so like he's he wants to hide himself from his parents and you have um like Mark which is like the first time I kind of was like hold on because he was full almost fully like um he shouldn't have to hide himself he should leave the nail polish on like he should just go for it and then my brain immediately was like, oh, no, 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 like, warning, warning, warning. And then you mm-hmm. had, um, like, the other side where it's kind of like, well, no, you can be yourself, but you also have to understand when you're, like, a younger queer kid, sometimes you just have to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. So I, like, uh, I don't know, I really felt like that moment in the book was, like, really important to kind of, like, have the two sides of that, especially for, like, younger kids who might read this. Yeah, I think that that was important for me to put in. And actually, that was one of the big notes I got from my editors the first time, is that they all felt that the ending, this sort of ending of Hudson deciding that he was going to take his nail polish off with his parents, he was going to stay safe, and Randy supporting that, um, was 
too depressing, essentially. They were like, where's the big, happy, love yourself and everything will be fine ending. And I was like, well, I don't want that. Like, that's not what they want. And they were like, okay. But then I think you need to make sure that the, that nuance is something that's throughout the book. Because mm-hmm. apparently before the book had just been like hurtling towards this, be yourself, everything's <laughs> great uh, message, which I didn't realize. Um, so I went back and I like threaded some more stuff in. But it was still important to me that like that idea of like, if you be yourself, everything will be fine was still in there. Because I think it's a message that queer kids get a lot. That, that like, yeah, come out and everything will be great. Or once you come out, um, you know, there are no issues from that point on. And of course, coming out isn't the end of a story. It's the beginning, despite what, you know, popular culture will have you believe. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make sure that like we have that sort of friction but that in the end the kid makes the choice that is safest for them and mm-hmm. I think that Randy helps Hudson make the correct choice and I think that you know it's it it's important also to sort of see that Hudson's family is okay with him being queer like that's something I really wanted to emphasize Hudson's family is like fine with him being queer but they have trouble with is like essentially him violating any other patriarchal norms Um, they, you know, that's where, you know, they don't want him to be one of those gays. That's what it really comes down to. You can be gay, but you're special. Um, you are, you, you, I love you, but I don't love those other gay people. And I think that that idea of having to perform for your love, for your parents' love after you come out is something I really wanted to make sure was in there. And that ending needed to emphasize it because I think that when you are a teenager, and this book is for teenagers, you know, you are dependent on your parents in many ways. And as a queer person, I think we experience a lot, especially a queer person born to straight parents, we're essentially born into this culture that they're not a part of. They don't understand Mm it. Um, And when they see it, they have averse reactions to it sometimes or not. Um, But when they have those adverse reactions, it, it's more about, you know, the most liberal people in the world can still be that kind of homophobic. And that's yeah. the sort of homophobia I'm really interested in. I did explore it in Jack too. And I think it's a homophobia I grew up with a lot, you know, going to a liberal private school in New York city. Um, and I think that I wanted to make sure that we knew that that homophobia was still dangerous and needed. And, you know, there are still closets to come out of and closets to stay in as a fortress to keep yourself safe. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was what was important to me in that moment and that ending to make sure that we didn't come away with a like s- deeply simple, everything is happy now that you're like yourself and there will never be problems again. Um, a sort of ending. Cause that to me is dangerous to kids who are dealing with this weird nuanced place where their parents will say, I'm not homophobic. I love gay people, but, um, and like being who they are. And so when you're in that, like on some level, it's not easier, but like the answers are clearer when you're in a situation where your parents are like, I hate gay people. If you were gay, I would be you. Like in that situation, you don't come out like Mm -hmm. that. It's very simple and easy. If your parents are essentially like, oh yeah, I love gay people, not those gay people, 
then it becomes a much more nuanced sort of performance of your queerness. And I think that kids need to learn how to do that and learn how to do that code switching too uh, in order to keep themselves safe. And that was sort of what I wanted to make the message clear that when you are in a safe queer community, you get to be yourself. But if you were dependent on straight people outside that queer community, it becomes another situation right now. And maybe one day we can burn that down and I would love it. But right now, especially for teenagers, that's not what it is. Mm -hmm. I think Connie, like the way that you just expressed that Connie was definitely that voice in the book that was like, hey, yes, we would love this for Hudson. And like, you've definitely helped Hudson out of his shell but at the same time you know here is my situation uh and it's different for every single person coming out is never just like one like whoop it's the same for everyone um and I liked this the story from an old like a person who came out at a like a different point in their life too as opposed to the idea that everyone comes out when they're a teenager mm-hmm. yeah I yeah, love that yeah. I mean, yeah, no, there are still people. I mean, I, I, there's this easy idea that, like, people are coming out more and more, younger and younger now, but there's still people who are coming out at 25, 30, 40. And, like, that's not to be discounted, and they have their reasons for that, and it's no one's choice but their own. And I think that there are a lot of well-meaning straight people who are like, come out and everything will be great. And that's, like, deeply naive and problematic. And, like, maybe straight people need to not talk about that. Maybe... Maybe straight people need to let queer people be their own kind of queer in their own way and mind their own business. <laughs> oh, that's not how that works. What? <laughs> Maybe that's what needs to happen. She said, Ooh. you know, <laughs> flipping. I'm playing with a small nail. Imagine that as, as very menacing in some way. <laughs> <laughs> Could puncture a bunch of times yeah. and it'll really sting. It's just going to really be upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! I think I was definitely in the the group of the initial people who was like, "Oh, this is not going to have like a happy sunshine ending. This is going to have <laughs> like a realistic ending." Oh man! But then I was like, getting there, and I was like, "Okay, this makes so much more sense." And it was definitely like voiced in the the conversations with Dell and Connie, and then Dell and um, Marcus, and like all of that. It definitely made a lot more sense. It was like, well, yeah. We're not going to have, like, his parents show up. Amy's, like, full glam. Like, they gave him a makeover. Like, George did their makeup or something. <laughs> and then me, his mama. Parents, <laughs> and then his parents <laughs> are going to be like, oh, is this the new you? It's fine, darling. Like, it just yeah, wasn't no, going to be realistic. No. Yeah. And I think... <laughs> yeah, no, that's... Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Like, if you look at this camp as his, like, one saving grace and the one, like the sort of the legacy his grandmother left him in a place of love and how he managed to keep coming here is because he doesn't come back gayer and gayer every time, essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if they came and he was like, you know, wear a nail polish, that would be his last summer. He would not get to return to this queer space where he gets to be himself. And so he gives up a little part of himself, you know, the rest of the year so he can have this, so he doesn't have to essentially give up the rest, you know, give up part of himself all year yeah and he's he like i mean he starts off with kind of this like myth of the camp he's just like this really hot guy that we're going after and he like is a sports boy so he's like maybe kind of dumb or i don't know and then you like get to know him and it's like that 
mental state that you have to be in is just so like mature for a teen to be like, I understand that I have to act this way so I can be safe. And also so that I can come back to the space where I feel okay. Mm -hmm. Um, The new one. uh, (laughs) It's funny the the original sort of idea for him in terms of like why he was so attractive is like life coach. What if he was a life coach? (laughs) And that's like the whole, so he's always like, you can do it. You can be anyone you want. I believe in you. And like, I was like, yes, yes. This is exactly who Randy would fall for. Um, Once I had that down, I like sort of understood who he was. But of course the irony there is that like when he's saying you can be anyone you want, what he means is like, you can be like me. You can be patriarchal and straight acting as well. um, uh, So that, you know, straight society doesn't think less of you essentially. Mm-hmm. That's what, and it, you know, there, there is, some, there's definitely some autobiographical stuff in there. When I first came out freshman year in high school, um, one of the things that happened was that like, I all of a sudden went from generally ignored, which was fine to girls who had never spoken to me suddenly like running up to me and being like, we need to go shoe shopping. And suddenly I became this weird, like I realized I wasn't allowed to be Lev anymore. I was the queer kid. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that a lot of queer kids don't get to play with identity the way Mm -hmm. that straight kids do because of that. Like they're always viewed as the queer kid. And I think one of the things that I did and a lot of queer kids do when that happens, when all of a sudden they become the gay kid and everyone, all the straight people start viewing them as the stereotype is they rebel by like becoming as non-stereotypical as possible. And, mm-hmm. you know, in Hudson's case, there's also his parents being like, well, you can't, you know, I love you because you're not like those gays, but I, I love you. You're gay, but you're not like those gays. And then, you know, that identity becomes dependent. You have to have that because otherwise you lose their love. And so all of that sort of mixing together become, you know, I think it, you end up with a very, I think this is where a lot of the people who identify as mask for mask are coming from is this idea that somehow these values, these patriarchal values are correct. And I think that, you know, one of the things I always say is gay is a gift, gay is a gift. And the reason it is, is because you, when you come out, you are given an opportunity to essentially look at the patriarchy and be like, oh, apply to me. I'm going to step outside it and start hitting it with a hammer. Like this is my chance to sort of be outside this nonsense structural system. But Mm -hmm. a lot of queer people, instead of embracing that gift, will be like, oh, this is the system and I have deviated from it in this way already. I am allowed no more deviations. I must conform as much as possible. And that becomes their identity. And they view their conformity as as a strength. They have to view it as a strength because otherwise what are they doing? Um, And I think that when that happens, that's why they're only into other mask guys because other mask guys are also strong enough to like strong, let's in quotes, to uh, avoid these stereotypes. But also, and this is the part they're not thinking about, other guys who behave like that are not in danger from the enforces of the patriarchy. Other guys who are straight acting like they are, are safe. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why I think the sort of mask for mask mentality is really one of fear more than anything else. And that's what I wanted to tell in Hudson's story. That in the end, what it came down to, even though he thought 
he, you know, even though he views this his 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 conforming to patriarchy as a strength, he understands that really where it comes from is fear. That that's it. That's the tweet. That's it. Thank you, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) My uh. My, I rambled my, a little. <laughs> no, was, I was enraptured by that. Yeah, we were just like, right, oh, you're done? You <laughs> keep talking. Um, Finally, I'll brother, start that cult. <laughs> <laughs> my brother Frankie and I, uh, he came out, I want to say, like two years ago, maybe. Um, and he's four years older than I am. Um, we consistently have conversations of like what, our family accepts as like the limit. And for a long time, it was just me pushing that limit at like openly, I should say. Um, And it was difficult to not have someone that I could like talk to about that in my house because for, I was like far removed from the family when I lived in the city. And then when I had to move home, I had to kind of like readjust myself to like what is acceptable in like the middle of New Jersey, which in my mind shouldn't be any different than what is acceptable in Philadelphia and like how queer I can be, but it is different. And it's been very nice to be able to like say to my brother, like, okay, Frankie likes to wear like floral clips in his hair and likes to explore with makeup. Whereas like, I also like to play with makeup, Um, but it's in a more like subdued way. If you can believe that Um, Frankie loves the idea of like fun, like colorful makeup, not to be like, Oh, I have eyebrows today. It's more like, I have purple eyeshadow on today. And it's, I can imagine that the kids that don't have that like direct person that they can talk to, uh, it's extremely difficult. Um, And I have no idea where I was going with this, but it related to what you were saying. (laughs) Well, no, it does in that, like, you know, it's about queer community in the end. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, before I was talking about how I was one of those kids who when all of a sudden people wanted to go shoe shopping with me and I was like, I don't know anything about shoes. Um, <laughs> all of a sudden, like, so I, I worked really hard to like not be a stereotype. I didn't go jock, I went goth, but that's a whole other <laughs> issue. Um, but I went like, I went to the point where where like people were actively a little scared of me if occasionally. Um, not there was no makeup it was just a big black trench coat um, mm-hmm. but and i remember like there were other kids who came out after me who like were you know gayer and that's in quotes um and i remember thinking like uh they're just giving in to this stereotype everyone wants them to be and because of thoughts like that i never really got around to embracing the queer community until later in life. Mm-hmm. And I, I deeply regret that. Even though I had queer friends, they were all women. And I, I really sort of wish that, and, you know, I write for Teen Lev. And if I think if Teen Lev had read this book, maybe he would have come away with a sort of, oh, you know, it's all drag. It's all just be whoever the fuck you want to be. Like, straight people don't get to tell you how to be queer. Those women coming up to you who want to go shoe shopping, like, that's on them, not on you to fix. Like, you can just be like, I don't have any interest in your feet, bitch. And like, <laughs> move along. Like, I, I don't need to, like, I, I, you can still wear nail polish and not care about shoes. And um, that was something that, like, I never really figured out until I was older. And I think it was because I was so sort of scared of this queer community too. And I think that it, this book, which essentially is a queer community in a book, um, is 
exactly what empowers all these kids to sort of figure themselves out. And if I had embraced other queer people and this community earlier, I think I would have figured myself out earlier too. Mm -hmm. I think there's like a really um, beautiful thing that happens in queer communities where we all kind of understand that you're constantly like evolving and growing and like constantly coming out and changing and like be that like, some people's like sexuality is more fluid and that changes or just like the way you decide to present yourself from day-to-day shifts and it's definitely at least like an americanized kind of like uh heteronormative thing to be like okay you're 18 you're an adult this is who you are this is your personality you did sports in high school you're a sports boy like you did Mm -hmm. art you're the weird art kid like it's very like this is who you are that's what it's gonna be yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're stuck with it. You you can't change your job or anything about what you do once you've decided the track you're on. You're stuck on that. And mm-hmm. um, it's just so much, like, it's something that I've, like, noticed, like, embracing, like, a queer community definitely a lot more, like, in my 20s where I have have so many people who are just, like, I don't fucking care. Like, I don't you like look this way one day look this way the other day like everyone's changing like you're constantly evolving like there's no such thing as like oh you're this kind of gay like we're all yeah just little blobs rolling around yeah (laughs) (laughs) and that's so elegant we're all little blobs rolling around we're all just like little fluid blobs rolling around so we're ditto is what you're telling us (laughs) yeah we're all dittos (laughs) um but yeah I i think i don't know that idea of like having like not having a track that you're set on forever is something that's like really inherent because queer people have had to fight so much more to like figure themselves out internally as well as like against what the expectations that are put upon them that they Mm -hmm. feel so much more free to like then further explore more things and like keep like breaking boundaries and keep like finding out new things about them they're like oh I didn't like come out until I was like 35 or whatever. I can just keep learning things about myself. Like my 18 year old self isn't like the version I'm stuck with for yep. the rest of my life. Like what? I, th- I think we should all be happy that we're not the same person we were when we were 18. <laughs> <Ooh>. Yeah, no. <laughs> Mine being skinnier. <laughs> I wouldn't mind the 18 year old body that I had, the little tiny one, but it's fine. <laughs> Exactly. I've always been fat and it's great. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Go us. Um, I mean, we've talked a lot about camp. Do we want to like talk a little bit about Jack of Hearts too? Yes. Yeah, sure. Do we have time to like just like yeah, no, talk I about got, Jack? I got another half hour. Fabulous. Great. Can you, um, I don't have, because Sophie, uh, you served my copy for me, <laughs> uh, because copy. of how well I described it during our top <laughs> 10 episode. Um, can you like tell us a little bit about Jack of Hearts and other parts? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, so Jack of Hearts is about 17 year old Jack. He is out. He is proud. He is very unapologetically slutty. Um, so he's having sex with a lot of different guys. He doesn't care. He has no interest in a relationship. Um, but there are a lot of rumors about his sex life, uh, which he does not love. And his friend Jenna 
convinces him to sort of take control of his own narrative and stop the rumors by writing a sex advice column. Um, and the sex advice column is in the book. There are questions are actually, many of them are sourced from actual teens um, who I spoke to, and obviously I rewrote them um, and gave them more of a narrative, but the, the questions are from teenagers, many of them. And uh, as he's writing this column, he, or because of it maybe, he gets a stalker who set, writes him little anonymous love notes which at first seems sort of harmless, but as they go on, get sort of blackmaily and start to try to reshape Jack into the kind of gay boy that they think he should be, which is chaste, adorable, and yeah, that's it. Chaste and adorable. <laughs> I was looking for a third one, rule of threes, but I couldn't find it. <laughs> Um, I think the first question I had written down was, um, <laughs> end quote, where the hell did Jack come from? <laughs> Rage. Um, so Jack of Hearts is a weird thing because I wrote the first 99 pages in like a week in this sort of mad rage. And the reason was I felt as though there were, while we were making progress on the gay YA front, I felt like a lot of what I was seeing was the same type of gay boy and that gay boy had to be chaste, it had to be sweet, it had to be a coming out or at least a romantic narrative. And that was like all it was. Like gay men are here essentially for the consumption of straight women. And that's what a lot of these stories were. They were like adorable, sweet, chaste gay boys. Um, and I was like, what about the slutty one? <laughs> like that was, Honestly, That yes. was my entire, like, mentality. Like, where's my story about a slutty gay boy? Like, where's a boy who has no interest in romance? And I was just so angry about this idea that, like, straight people essentially are only letting queer teens see themselves as one version. Mm-hmm. That I wrote Jack as sort of a, a, a screed against that version. Mm-hmm. And obviously the sort of story is about someone turn, trying to turn him into that version. Um, and so I wrote these 99 pages, including the sex column stuff and the guide to anal sex, which is right up front. And then I was like, this could be a terrible idea. <laughs> um, and I have a rule that if you write 100 pages, you have to finish the book. And I was like, okay, I don't know if I'm wasting my time with this. And luckily Alvina, my editor had edited a middle grade and I'm friends with her. So I was like, I want to send this to you as a friend. I'm not asking you to like acquire it or anything. Just tell me if it is worth continuing. That is all I want to know. You don't even have to read the whole thing. Just like, you know, let me know when you get to the point where you think it's worth continuing. And she got like 40 pages into it and emailed me and was like, it's worth continuing. And then she got to 99 pages and said, have your agent send this to me officially so I could buy it. Um, so that was very cool. (laughs) And, um, yeah. And then I finished it once she bought it and yeah. And then it went out into the world and a lot of people were like, I'm not showing this to my kid. (laughs) (laughs) I think as, as someone who was once a 17 year old gay boy (laughs) and like literally reading it, I was just like, yeah, this, this is it. (laughs) This is fucking it, man. This is the moment. Like, would I be mortified if my mom gave it to me? Slight, maybe, but 
Oh my God. Oh my God. There is a mother who, I can't remember where I saw it. It was tweets or blogging. She was reading it with her gay kid. Oh. They were reading it together. I kind I of love it, but it's also it kind like of like... Reading out loud or like they would each read a chapter and talk about it. I don't know, but I was like, I do not want to be that kid. But I don't know. I won't let, like, I know my parents have read it, but I like told them flat out, we're not talking about it. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to talk about this book with you. I, if you want to read it, you go for it. I appreciate that support, but we are not talking about it. But at the same time, now I know they've read it. And that means I know that they know that I know, like, the BDSS, BDSM system that's introduced at the end, which is weird. Not gonna lie, it's weird. I I kind of maybe because I'm not interact. That's like not happening to me. I'm just like yes. <laughs> I I just Jack of Hearts was just like it. Literally was like here's a story, and then it was like guess what? Something else is about to happen, and then like the stalker portion came in, and I was like, <gasps> and then it like got progressively more like the jacket cutting. Like I was like, oh my god, is this gonna turn into a murder mystery? <laughs> like what's going on? Jack of Hearts literally was like, oh, you want a book, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, I thought a lot about Pretty Little Liars, which is has its problems. <laughs> but like, I really enjoy it, and I really enjoy Pretty Little Liars. I think because in the end, a lot of what the story really is about is about the fact that like people don't take young women seriously, mm-hmm. and like that's essentially what causes all the drama. Like that is the noir element. You know, noir is always about people not being taken seriously. And in this case, it, it, uh, in Pretty Little Liars, it's because they're teen girls. And I always thought that was like such a brilliant way of looking at it. Like the idea of like being a teen girl is inherently a noir experience because no one takes you seriously. And I, you know, and so while I was writing this, I was like, yeah, the, you know, being a particular type of gay boy, no one takes you seriously either. Mm-hmm. And so like there is a noir experience to that too. And that's, that's where the thriller, inst- and like, you know, I loved writing those moments where it was like, well, you're asking for this attention with the way you look, dress, act. And like, you know, that it, it, it's the same theme as camp in many ways. I'm a one note author <laughs> um, in that it's about straight people telling gay people the acceptable ways to be gay. Mm-hmm. I'm just yeah. That's it. That's, that's, it. that's the tweet. <laughs> um. So Brendan gave me like a rundown of Jack of Hearts, so I kind of had an idea of what was coming while I was reading. I knew it was going to be a little bit spicy, um, and I knew that there was going to be like some kind of intrigue and uh, this like blackmailing plot almost. Um, but kind of what like I wasn't expecting at all was um, like the really sincere moments that Jack had. Um, not that I was like expecting him to be a bad person, but like in a lot of the letters that the um, he like his responses in letters, it wasn't like just here's how you do this. Like I know how to have sex. This is like this is how you're safe. Like he's a smart person, but it was also like a lot of like, you need to know when you're ready for this, you need to communicate with your partner. If like you think something is wrong, like it was just like really beautiful to be, for have him be such like an educated slut. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But no, it was, yeah, it was great. And like, uh, he has like some, like the really, he's like a nice moment with like Ricky, who's like this person who, who was like, 
I know I'm gay and I know I want to have sex because I don't want to start dating and have a boyfriend and have that be like a pressure in the relationship. So can like, I trust you. Can you, can we just like get this out of the way? And he's like so sweet about it while his life is falling apart. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Ricky was supposed to have his own book, but that's another story. But um, (laughs) yes, I'm uh, listening. We're here. (laughs) I'll get to that in a moment after I address the question. But um, yeah, I, it, you know, it, there is that sort of moment, and I thought about this a lot, where it was sort of like, is Jack almost too good at this? But the idea, too good like, of a you slut? Know, I mean, <laughs> too good at this, at the, like, really compassionate mm-hmm. sex ed letters, essentially. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I knew is, like, if I was going to put a sex ed in the book, it had to be, like, kind. But finding that in Jack, for me, was about Jack finding it in himself, because you know, like, Jack's not an A student at all. Something like people, you know, he's a bad kid. Like, I don't mean it in a sort of, like, he's, you know, out there, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something really bad that kids can do. I don't know. <laughs> Spray paint and graffiti or something. I don't know. I mean, that's not bad. It's but, not. Yeah, I'm trying to yeah. think of, like, a stereotypical small-town person and be like, these dang kids keep spray he's painting. He's not pushing old ladies down in the street. Like, yeah. There like, <laughs> he just doesn't care that much about school. He likes clothes and fashion. And, like, he's not... And he smokes. And he has sex with a lot of different people. And he, But, like, at the same time, the one thing he is good at is sort of, like, sex. Like, that's his superpower, you know? You, the there's this theory that like you have to figure out your, your character's superpower and all of it. And if that's his superpower, I realized there had to be like a reason behind it. And the reason behind it was that he sort of understands the way people need to connect. He understands communication a lot better than even he understands what he, a lot better than even he knows, let's say. And um, so when he's writing these letters, all of a sudden he's sort of presented with the fact that maybe not everyone else is as good at this communication stuff as he is. And the, the, the getting to sort of tell people how to love themselves and love sex and their bodies and other people was for him a revelation. And I think at one point he actually starts talking like a column, like one of his columns and someone is like, you actually sound like your columns now. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, that's me. And but I think for that, for him, there's that moment there where he's like, oh, I guess this is something special about me. And like, you know, it's almost like, you know, this, this willingness to be himself is what makes him really special. And being himself in this case involves a lot of sex. Um, and I think that he doesn't realize how special it makes him because, you know, at the beginning, all he really sees of himself or all he sees reflected in the world is these rumors. And it's like, you know, oh, he's fucking someone's dad in front of him at a game to make him mess up a throw. Or, you know, he's having a threesome in someone else's bathroom during a party. And, like, that's not who he sees himself as, but he thinks that's what the world sees him as. And so as he writes these letters, I think he finds more of himself and understands more of what his sort of specialness is in terms of, this being himself stuff. Like mm-hmm. he almost doesn't realize that it's a superpower at first. Um, but also, yeah, I think that he's, he's not a good kid, but he's a nice kid. <laughs> yeah. We talk a lot about how 
the reason that we like end up reading a lot of YA stuff is like, even just like, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, when we were teenagers, there wasn't as much of it for Mm -hmm. that, like focused on like queer kids. There was maybe like, uh, like a best friend who was like gay or like some kind of terrible traumatizing book uh, about someone just bad things happening to people. Um, so we I like, like <laughs> I, I remember me reading Mercedes Lackey Magic's Pawn series when I was mm-hmm. like in middle school or something. And that was my first experience with gay characters and it involves gang rape. One of them dies and is reincarnated as a 17 year old while the other's 40. Like there's a lot of stuff in there that is not great. And, um, but it was like my first experience with like gay people on the page. My God, that's terrible. <laughs> oh, you should read it. It is weird. That my, series is weird. My you first interaction with sci-fi. My first um, interaction with queer people on the page was Rainbow Boys. <laughs> I, is it Alex Sanchez? I think that's yeah, the, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Which is also like a somewhat like some of the stuff that happens in there is like you know not very good. The one yeah. the, the main character is a Hudson. He's very like straight appealing like gay and his friend who's more flamboyant gets like beat up it's very fun um i think that 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 (laughs) has become so classic too like you Mm. you see it everywhere this idea that like you know the flamboyant gay kid needs to get beat up it just happens that's part of his story Mm -hmm. and i hate that so much um but you know and, and gay ya has been around since before stonewall well a few months before stonewall um, you know, the first gay away was 1969. Um, I'll get there. It better be worth the trip. And I'm the author's name I'm blanking on right now. Um, but 13 year old has sex with a boy and then his dog dies because, and like, he's like, Oh, cause I had sex with a boy. Um, Oh my God. Yeah. And like, it's not, honestly, that's like one of the more it's, it's, it's a more nuanced portrayal than it sounds, but it's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, and it, interestingly, I just stumbled across a review of it in the times in 1969, where they were like, this is problematic to call, like to say that homosexuality is like a bad thing. In 1969. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Wow. I, 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 I was, I was pretty much like, what now? What's going on? I'm I, sorry. I understand history. Like, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so it's, like, it's been going on forever, but I feel like straight people are constantly stealing it away from us. I feel like they're constantly being, like, queer literature, we're going to hide it over here in this section. Mm -hmm. Queer literature doesn't exist. What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, no, it doesn't happen. Or, like, uh, oh, no, I can't talk about that. Never mind. But, uh, um, (laughs) the, I was about to say something and I realized I can't talk about it yet. Sorry. Sorry. I will talk about redacted, redacted. Um, But like, you know, with Jack, there was definitely a lot of that sort of like, oh no, no, this is not happening. Like we are, Mm -hmm. we are not talking about that. Even with queer people, they were afraid to give it to queer teens. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that reinforces this idea that we're only allowed to have this one narrative and the narrative has shifted over time. Like it, it isn't, so much about getting beat up anymore although we still see it i don't know if you watch sex education but like mm-hmm. i don't know why he needed to get beat up i have no idea why he needed to get beat up in that show um yeah. and 
the fact that we like just get are allowed this one story, even if it's getting better, is just so exhausting. Especially, especially, especially for queer teens. And there are all these people who are like, oh, so what? So like, you know, the queer teen reads something that, you know, they see this one story or, and this is why I talk so much about own voices and how own voices are important. Um, I'm not anti-own voices. I just think it's different and it's important. Um, but I think that when you see own voices narratives that are about, it's about who you write for. And as a gay man, I am writing for gay teens. Mm -hmm. Um, As a queer person, I'm writing for queer people. And when you have like a straight person writing queer teens for other straight people, it becomes about that one narrative. It becomes about that story. And usually that story now is sort of a, a, an emotional jerk off session. I like to say it's like, uh, cause it, it's like the same, like you, when you think about like porn for straight people made by straight people, but it's a lesbian scene, mm-hmm. like that's oh, about no getting idea. a guy. It's two women performing to get a guy off. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a man making two women perform to get a guy off. Um, usually, not always, but um, women with like nails out to here. Oh, like, I know about that. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's not a queer woman. No, no, no. no. And to me, that's the same as when you see a straight woman writing, um, essentially, you know, uh, the, this one story, this one sweet romantic story, this one sweet gay boy for other women. Right. But the issue is, and you just sort of touched on it. What if, you know, you as a queer woman had only been given this lesbian porn growing up as your one way of seeing yourself? Oh, no. Like, like that's what we're doing to queer kids. Yeah. Kids are are out there looking for representations of themselves and we're giving them stuff that isn't meant for them because it's the only thing that makes money. It's the only thing that people care about because all these straight women, that's what they want. And, like... it, it, I don't, it's complicated, but I wouldn't say that like, you know, no, you can't write queer people if you're not queer. I'm not gonna say, you know, I'm not that person because I have written outside my lane, absolutely. But I think that we have to think about the audience. And if you're writing for teenagers, especially, you have to think about the way that a teenager is gonna see themselves. And when the one story keeps getting told to them over and over again, they're going to think that's their only story. Mm-hmm. And as a queer person, if you really only think you have one story growing up, then your life has no more possibilities. It just has that one story. And I can't think of a more depressing, horrifying thing to tell a teenager than your life only gets one story because of who you are. Yeah. I think, um, the way that this is like it's explored in Jack is so like beautiful because it's you not only get like this really confident like teen who like knows like what he wants like physically from people and stuff and emotionally but he's also talking to other teens and you get something that is like rarely touched on even in like a lot of uh queer books written by queer people where you're like breaking down like this is how you have like safe anal sex. Like, okay. Also this person, like, okay, you might be like asexual. That's fine. Let's go through this. Like, this is how you like, like do all this stuff. And it's just, um, it's, 
it's like such a thing that like I mean we have the internet now so it's I, definitely everything's like a little bit easier but especially for like queer kids who might have questions or like just maybe didn't even like think to think about certain things when you have such like practical advice for lack of a better phrase <laughs> um in like the basically almost like hidden in like a, a teen book it's just kind of like revolutionary because I mean there's not there's not too many I mean it's it's better now but there's still like a lot of queer kids who like wouldn't be able to have like queer sex ed books like around their house like if they have to kind of hide stuff so having like this explicit like really breakdown of like a queer experience in this and, book was just like amazing. And queer sex ed like isn't taught. I went it's to not the, yeah, and it's not taught in high schools at all. Like mm-hmm. I mean, I don't yeah. even think like straight sex ed is really talked about that much outside of like I don't know where a condom, I guess. But I mean, like yeah, I grew up in New York City and I went to this, you know, liberal private high school that specialized in being liberal essentially. And um the sex ed class was like putting condoms on bananas. <laughs> yeah. We like, had, that was it. I don't even know if we did that in my high school. I, I feel like they just kind of like, were like, do you guys want condoms? Here you go. Like, do you want these? <laughs> we had something called high tops, which was a thing that every year you would do during gym class. And it was, you had to like audition to get at, into high tops to be like a counselor. And it was basically teenagers talking to teenagers about sex ed. And it was run by a place, I think there's a place called High Tops in Princeton. And like, if you wanted to go get like STD testing there, if you're under the age of like 18, I believe it's free. Um, they also do like such a sex education. And I feel like it was just this like weird magical thing that only existed in my specific. Yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and um, I, I tried to get into that and the gym teachers who are all butch dudes that didn't like me, uh, they told one of the high tops counselors that I was too gay to be in it. Um, which is interesting because, uh, yeah. What? (laughs) Yeah. Like, (laughs) okay, fine. Um, and it really sucked hearing that. And I found out that at a college party the year after I graduated from high school, I was told by one of the counselors that I wasn't picked specifically because I was too gay. And we did have like, it was mostly, like straight sex education, but like there were times where we spoke about um, like, I guess specifically gay penetrative sex, but like nothing about like dental dams or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But we had like a small, small smidge. This is nothing like what Jack would have given us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing though. I mean, uh, the thing I always, like, worry about is queer teens today, since they don't get their sex ed, they're going to porn for it. And, like, I don't have a problem with ethically made porn, but that's not sex ed. No. <laughs> like, that is specifically a fantasy. There is a lot of things that are not on screen. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I thought, you know, I thought if if I was going to do this, then I really wanted to make sure that gay kids did come away with a sort of advanced understanding, not advanced, but at least like basic what they deserve to be getting in school understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Je- both of your books actually are very sex positive, which is something that like 
I had such an enjoyable time reading because so many books go, it's like, I decide I'm going to jerk off. And then it's just like fades to black next chapter, (laughs) which is like, (laughs) fine, whatever. But at the same time, and I'm not saying like every book needs to be like, tell me about what's happening. Right. Um, But at the same time, like, you know, in Jack, it's never on this page sex. He talks about it afterwards, mm-hmm. but I yeah. never actually show it on the page. And that's because it's a story about someone taking ownership of their sexual narrative. Mm-hmm. And in camp, I was like, sex scene. Yes. <laughs> I was not expecting that. I thought it was going to be like Jack. Too. Yeah, I was like, I was like, okay, we're, when are we fade into black? Oh, we're just going for it. Okay. Because I read I, camp first. So I was not, like, I did not have Jack in my back pocket when I was reading camp, but I was not ready. <laughs> I, think, I think my favorite thing about the, like, the sex part of camp is when Del is like, oh, do you want to talk? Do you want to top me today? And Hudson is like, you're going to want to shower. Yeah. So not tonight. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yes. <laughs> Hudson is prepared. Hudson sort of, Hudson, and that's where his like smooth playboy thing came in. It's like, he knew he'd be sharing a tent. He knew he was in love with this guy again. He was prepared. (laughs) You know, before he got on that canoe, he was ready. Literally. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, Randy is new to this. And so he's not sure. He doesn't know how it works necessarily. But um I I did get some pushback on that scene from my editors. Originally, it was perhaps a bit more, a bit more. Um, but, you know, some other editors at the houses were like, this feels like the same level as a lot of straight sex scenes. It's just that we don't usually mm-hmm. get it with mm-hmm. gay sex. Or when we do get it with gay sex, it's not realistic in that it's just sort of like, and then they ha- and then like, like he enters you and there's like no lube. There's no warming up. There's no like... And it's like, and it's like porn. It's like porn. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that is not how it works. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to write a sex scene that was realistic and also funny. Like that was important to me. It couldn't like, look, teen boys are going to jerk off to anything. So like whatever. But um I didn't want like adults reading this to be like, yeah. <laughs> I just did a hand motion for those of you listening. Uh, <laughs> uh, like that's not what I wanted. So I wanted to make sure it was funny and silly and more about the fact that they are finally really communicating and mm-hmm. like being super honest with each other about who they are and what they want and giving each other what they want. And that's what like, you know, sex is supposed to be this conversation in books. Like it's supposed to be a moment of truth telling, I think. And that was what it was, that was what was important to me, that it be an honest conversation, but also really funny and silly and like free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was, I really liked writing it. Originally there was more, there was more fingering, there was more warming up. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, that was, <laughs> I'm, I'm pleased it got in and I'm pleased I've seen a lot of people respond really positively to it. I've seen mm. definitely some reviews that is like, there was one review that was like, they called it procedural, which like set off my, is one of those words that you hear a lot of people use when they're talking about like how gay people recruit kids. Oh. And I was like, that's a creepy thing to put in an official publication. It wasn't a blog. 
Um, so that creeped me out a little, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, no, I, I think overall people are responding really positively to the fact that it doesn't fade to black. Mm-hmm. Um, if I remember correctly, is there a TV show situation happening? Camp has been, the movie rights have been bought by HBO Max. Um, it's produced by Dan Jinks, who did American Beauty and um, Milk. And also, you may remember I mentioned it earlier, Down With Love, the movie that was in many ways inspiration for the book. So it feels very cyclical. And the screenplay, and screenplay <laughs> is being written by Kit Williamson, who did East Siders. That show is so good. It is so good. I hadn't seen it when they called me up and was like, hey, here's Kit, he wants to write your thing. So I went and watched like the whole thing that weekend. And I remember thinking the first season was kind of dark for like someone yeah. who's going to be turning this book in, but it was the second season during the threesome montage where mm-hmm. we get to the guy who's like, I, uh, I feel really close to you, so I think I can tell you that I killed a man. I was like, okay, he can write anything he wants. I'm set, I'm here. Like he can do it, this is hilarious. I love every part of this. Yeah, no, Eastsiders was so nice. And when they, I feel like it was just like, it was either right before the pandemic happened. It was like, hey, guess what? Season three. And I was like, oh, great. I need this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just announced you got a new show in development. Oh my God. I, I can't remember the title. I just saw it. Can it be but, all the same characters from Eastsiders? <laughs> I Specifically mean, Willem. <laughs> Willem was so good in that. Oh. He got an Emmy nod, right? I don't know if they've been announced yet. But oh, yeah! Wow, I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah. Good for Willem. Good for her. Yeah, no, I'm really impressed. I mean, they were very, very good in that show. So, yeah. but yeah, um, so that's exciting, and they've both been really great. I've spoken about them, and Kit is just—you just understand so much of what I'm trying to do in the book. And Dan um, is like been really patient with explaining Hollywood to me because I'm like, you have to do what? uh, this has happened but he's been really like and he's just he's very charming and he's very kind and he has he came in with a vision he was like this is what I want this book to be and it was exactly right and I I mean it has to get greenlit knock on wood but I I think it's a really great team and I think it can make a really great film I was, when I was reading it, I was like, I wonder how this would be as like, because I think I remember seeing that before I actually got the book and I was like, oh, this is interesting. So I like went into it. I was like, okay, I'm imagining this like as like a scene, like what's going on. Also like the idea of like George coming to life as a person. <laughs> yes. That's all I, I want. need it. I need it bad. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see, yeah. And I want to see the like blue sequin jumpsuit. I want to see it all. Yes, I actually nice. want one of those so bad now. I need a full <laughs> sequin jumper. I mean, he doesn't. <laughs> I imagine walking in it might get difficult just because I think the sequins would rub off. But like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah no. It is definitely a fantasy outfit. Truly. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to add? I I don't have anything. This is just I great. think we covered everything that we possibly could. Yeah. For this time, anyway. Well, that's not true. I could have told you about Ricky's book. Oh, wow. oh no. Okay, so you're gonna have to come back, and we're gonna talk about that. <laughs> the uh, they were supposed to be 
three more books after Jack, but unfortunately sales didn't warrant it. But you know, you never know. Go buy the paperback because it's got additional. If you read Camp, it's got extra little snippets. Yeah, and it just came out same day as Camp. Um, And yeah, no, I I I love Jack, but it uh, for obvious reasons it had a hard time in the market and. Mm I think that, you know, crash those gatekeepers. Yeah, <laughs> As queer people, it's our responsibility to make sure queer teens get books like this. Yeah. He says very authoritatively as though he's not trying to hawk his own wares. <laughs> <laughs> I think the last, last thing I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, in camp, the um, transcript of Elsie Rosen's acknowledgement speech for camp given... <laughs> the first person who's mentioned that. <laughs> I feel like no one else like this is honestly chaotic. It's iconic. It is the moment. (laughs) Like literally, (laughs) I'm reading this and I'm like, okay, I'm imagining him doing this in person, just swatting people away. Like, no, I'm not done with my moment. (laughs) Essentially, yes, that's how it would be. Like the, I, I, I genuinely appreciate every one of my acknowledgments, but this is my sixth novel, and they get a little boring to write the same sort of formula. So-and-so did so much for me. So I was like, this time I'm just going to do something a little weirder. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I feel like it, it belonged in this book. <laughs> yeah, so it. if you haven't read The Acknowledgements, everyone, highly recommend it. Truly. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, well, I guess we have to say goodbye to you. Thank you so much for talking oh, to us today. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Anytime. Ah, yeah. Yes, I want to yeah. hear more about Ricky. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's yeah. just for me yeah. <laughs> extremely attached to a small side character that's what Sophie does best he was the next one in the series he was king of clubs right? oh yeah that was his Ooh. or no queen of clubs yeah Jeremy was gonna be king of spades and Ben was gonna be two of diamonds Damn it. Can you make a Patreon where we pay you for this? Let's get a GoFundMe started. Yeah. Right. <laughs> We're going to go work on our Kickstarter for the rest of this series for me personally. Um, it was going to be fun. It was going to be a fun time. But, uh, you know, I still find ways to get a lot of what I was going to do in those books in other places. Mm-hmm. That's so. good. Yeah. You'll see versions of them, hopefully. Mm, as long as people out. go out and buy camp. <laughs> did you hear that you need to go buy camp <laughs> at your local bookstores we'll just yes. like record us quietly saying buy camp over and over again and play oh, yeah. it this play whole the background episode, please just yeah. subliminal message through the whole episode i have a clipping of ryan lasala laughing i'm sure <laughs> we can make a clipping of us being like go buy camp <laughs> asmr oh my god i forgot yeah. to tell you this is our 60th episode so thank you so much for joining us for that oh, so Yes, thank you so much. This has been thank so you fun. Thank you so much. No, this was a lot of fun, and I enjoyed it, but I'm going to go now. Yeah, I have to go eat dinner. <laughs> go I enjoy your life. Yeah, I gotta go family. play d d <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Uh, bye. Bye. <laughs> I think he's a meeting. He, he was like, know. bye. <laughs> um, well, thank you, everyone, for listening. This is the Super Lit Podcast. We just had Lev, uh, a.k.a. Elsie Rosen, and 
Um, that was so amazing. I fucking love when authors are just like, let me tell you what's what, bitch. I love when an author is like, so I got real angry one day and I wrote a book. I'm like, uh, angry this about- is the energy I want. This is the energy I aspire to have. This is how I fuel everything I do. Truly. Fueled by spite. Honestly, um, um, if only <clears throat> because of how much I love Jack of Hearts, you, you just need to buy both books, honestly. Yeah. Like, no joke. Jack of Hearts was honestly one of my favorite books. I dislike giving people my books to read because I feel like I never get them back. I trusted Sophie with it. And I'll give it back I'm to you so glad. next time I see you because I have finally read it now. Because I did have it on the shelf for a minute because I was like, well, I need to read this thing first. This we didn't know have... that we were going to get to talk to him. No, and then suddenly... It was like, hello? Amazing, we were blessed. Yeah, truly. Blessed. <laughs> I'm I'm really glad I let you borrow the book because I'm glad it, that you I'm really glad got to that I got I to about. read both books because I definitely had like it's I like kind of adjusted the way I was like thinking about camp after I read Jack Parts. It definitely like influenced like I could see his writing a little bit differently and um it like it just like made my brain think more. Brain do work. Brain did <laughs> thought machine go brr. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie is a robot that we have to reprogram quite often. Um, but it was like, no, it was truly like I had read like camp and stuff and, and what have you. Just, I mean, you read a book, you think about it, what have you. But then like reading his, his other novel, it really like kind of switched things up. Cause it's just a totally different like character set and like everything that happens is just like, Oh, so much dramatically different, but also like mm-hmm. you can tell it's written by the same person. Also, and I think the thing that Love does so well is the celebration of queer culture is just like yeah. Camp so much more did that because like I I don't think I, I felt like ev- there were, everyone was represented here. There was a seat at the table for everyone, right? And Camp really you know makes you have a discussion about a hard topic, which especially in the gay community is the mask for mask bullshit. And, um, you know, it's literally listening to him being like, it's not realistic to tell every like queer teenager that if you come out, it's going to be fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely had like a little bit more reservation on how, he was acting and stuff. I was, I was reading, um, mm-hmm. but even more so talking to Lev and hearing his like explanation of like how he intended the characters to be just like made it so much more. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to use, trying to use big brain words. <laughs> big brain. Um, <laughs> no, but he was just so, like eloquent as I'm not being um, explaining his motivations and having these kinds of characters and act the way they did that it just really like kind of cemented more. So how they, they fit into the world and how Mm -hmm. they represent such like a specific type of queer culture. That's like often not looked about because as much as I do love like the very fun, cute stories we have to read that are just like kind of celebrating like queer kids and are like kind of just like a happy space space because mm-hmm. we did say we had such a long time, like really traumatic books only basically. Yeah. Um, it's good to have that like celebration of queerness, but also still have like a safe celebration of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I have a Connie. Yeah. Honestly, Connie, 
I was wondering if there was going to be, but she was still here to talk about this. Um, Sophie and I just started talking as soon as Lev left. I know. Um, I was like, well, he had to go, but I still want to talk about the books. Um, no, I was wondering if Connie was going to get like more airtime, if you will, in the book since, you know, the transition back to doing theater. And I think the, the parts that were included with Connie are very special. Um, and I think they, it's, it's interesting to have like Mark be like, yeah, just fucking do it. Come out. It's great. Right. Versus like because another there's person definitely who, those people who exist in the world who are like unapologetically queer yeah. and have reached a point in their life where they're like, if you don't like me, deal with it. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, and they don't have an, like they've been out and comfortable so long and like definitely someone who's like a counselor at a queer camp would probably feel comfortable and mm-hmm. secure enough to act that way that you kind yeah. of like forget almost that that's not an option for a lot of people, especially yeah. younger queer kids. And I, 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 I like that, like every, like, especially with Connie, she said, um, like literally like every coming out story is different. Nothing is the same. Right, like my yeah. coming out is going to be different than a non-binary person coming out. There's going to be, you know, a gay person coming out is different than this. And it's like every person, there are little different facets of coming out. And it was just so nice. And it was like near the end of the book too. So it was just like, here's a, an extra dash of like, fuck yeah. Um, but I think I have to go eat dinner. I need to go make dinner and I also have to go play D&D. I already made us delay. I'm so hour, sorry. So now I'm making us wait a 45 minutes. It's fine. <laughs> I just have to, um, I got to go be a tiefling for a little bit. So Sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. Oh, wait. No, you told me. I do know what that I'm means. I'm a little demon boy. That, that, I mean, that's right. <laughs> that's correct. That's um, correct. Um, everyone go read camp and then read Jack of Hearts or read Jack of Hearts and then read camp. Honestly, read both of them at the same time. Yeah, one any chance. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to figure Not out like, confusing. okay, <laughs> yeah, like, how do I... <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening to Superlit. This was our 60th episode. I'm very excited to say that. Um, and it was so nice talking to Lev. And it was just like such an enjoyable experience. I'm, I'm like starstruck right now. That was, it was very sweet. Um, yeah. Maybe we can get him to come back and talk once camp is greenlit. It, yeah, that let's needs see, to happen. Let's see about that. Cause that would definitely. Yeah. HBO Max is watch. just like, Oh sweetie, you want, you want the goods? <laughs> let's go. Yes. Um, my name is Brendan Patrick. We have someone else here. What's your name? My name's Sophie. Mm. <laughs> And uh, you've been listening to the Superlit Podcast. Bye. Bye. Oh, let me Show stop the rest. <laughs>